Well, there's a first for everything, and that is definitely the first time I've seen the offering taken up in a champagne bucket. <laughs> I've seen it taken up in lots of other things, but that's got to be a sign of good things to come. So, but I turned my watch on. <clears throat> I believe in miracles. One of the miracles that you're going to see this morning is a message compressed into the limited time frame that Rich is allowing me. Three hours. And I'd like to start by reading a couple of verses from Philippians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul writes this. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I don't consider I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, in context, Paul's been giving the story of his life, Philippians chapter 3. When he found Christ, he set everything else aside. He, he took all the advantages and privileges that he had, which were numerous, and he counted them as garbage compared with the gain of knowing Jesus. And he's just finished in the verses right prior to what I read out this morning. He's just finished saying that the whole goal of his life is to know Christ in his resurrection and in his suffering, and so to reach the resurrection of the dead. And so now he says, not that I've already obtained it or grasped it or I've already become perfect. And so the, the goal that he's after is knowing Christ. That's what the context states. So what he hasn't already grasped or become perfect in is knowing Christ. And yet we know that he does know Christ, doesn't he? He's given up. If anyone knew Christ, it's got to be Paul. He's had this incredible encounter. It's totally transformed his life. And yet he can still say, I haven't, I haven't got there yet. There's always more. It's an amazing thing when you meet Jesus Christ and he changes your life that there is always more to know about him. It's when you've been married for... Well, we've been married for... 34 years almost, and my wife complains there's, all, there's still something new that she's discovered about me that I've never disclosed to her. So when I say it to her, it's I've discovered something new about you, even more wonderful than was before, but she says, well, you never told me that. <laughs> the same way. Anyway. <laughs> but there's always something new that you discover about somebody, no matter how long you've known them, and that applies <clears throat> to Jesus. I, you know, I met Jesus Christ when I was a university student. Totally, completely changed my life. There's a massive difference between religion and Christianity. Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship. And I don't want to be politically incorrect. I did study world religions as an undergraduate. And the fact of the matter is that other world religions outside of Judeo-Christianity, are built on the concept of an understanding about God or the gods or what God might be. But Christianity is unique in that God sent His Son to this earth who walked the face of this earth and we can know Him personally. 
It's a relationship that we have. It's not just knowledge about God, it is knowing God. That's incredible, isn't it? Somebody can say amen. (laughs) So, he says, I haven't already grasped it, but I've already become perfect, but I press on. Now, this word press on, as we discover the whole of this little segment here, these several verses are based on the Olympic races. And if you understood the Greek of it, uh, the word press on, for instance, is a running word. It's a word that would u- be used of the runner in the Olympic race. And uh, the whole of this, he's painting a picture. Anybody that understood uh, the, the people in Philippi, which was obviously this was written in Greek originally. Philippi was a city in Greece. They would have understood he was talking about the Olympic race, the marathon race. <clears throat> and, that, and if that's helpful to put it in context, to understand it. So he starts off by saying, so he pictures the Christian life as a race, right? And not as a sprint, but as a marathon. And so he says, in the process of this long race, I am pressing on. I'm running. In order that I may lay hold of Christ, because I also was laid hold of by Him. And he's talking about how on the road to Damascus he was knocked off his donkey and laid hold of, arrested by Christ. I spoke in England a couple years ago at a... Uh, amazing, it's an amazing group of about 75 people that were all ex-convicts and uh, that had become Christians and their girlfriends and so on. It was quite a, it was like something right out of Jesus' ministry when he went into those places with all the people that were socially unacceptable and no one else would have anything to do with it. And, I, and this verb, the verb here in Greek actually means to be arrested by. So in order that I may lay hold of, because I also was arrested by Christ. Everybody in that room, I said, this is like Paul was arrested by Christ. Well, they'd all been arrested, at least once. And so they got it. Jesus has laid hold of us. Has he laid hold of you this morning? No. Is Christianity for you a a convenience? Is it an add-on to the rest of your lifestyle? Well, then there's something wrong with your Christianity. Because you're supposed to be arrested by Christ. When you're arrested, you lose your freedom. You don't have your own life anymore. Now, what the Bible teaches is actually to lose the freedom that you once had, which was freedom to wreck your life and do all sorts of stupid things, and to become a slave of Christ, to be arrested by Him, that's real freedom. It's a, it's a paradox, isn't it? It's something that doesn't seem to make sense. But if you know Jesus, it's true. He sets you free from the independence that was never doing any good anyway. And in return, He gives you something wonderful, a completely new life. So I press on. I'm running this race because Jesus arrested me and I've got a race to run. And I want to run it until I finish. I want to be consumed by it. I want to know Christ more deeply, more deeply, and more deeply. And in the process of this race, he gives us a piece of advice. And he says, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and stretching out to what lies ahead. Now the stretching out part 
in Greek is a double compound participle. I know that sounds very impressive, but it actually just and it's the only t- word of its type in the whole of the New Testament. It it's a, it means it's a, when he says I'm stretching out and he adds these bits and pieces onto it. It fortifies it, makes it even stronger, and it's a picture of the runner who is stretching out almost, you know, like at this kind of an angle in order to get his nose over the finish line before the next guy that's coming along behind him. So it's the race again, right? And when he says forgetting what lies behind, it's, uh, I'm not going to run the race looking around. Remember there was a, I don't know, runner in the last Olympics. I've been through, seen so many, lived through so many Olympics, I can't remember which one it was, but anyway where he looked behind and he nearly lost the race because he he looked back, right? And so in the race, he says, I'm not going to be looking around at what somebody else is doing. I'm going to press on toward the goal. And matter of fact, my whole body is going to be extended that way. I'm living my life in a very purposeful way because I want to get across that finish line as best I can. Now, Realizing where we're not, where we want to be in life, can be discouraging. Right? It's true. And we're tempted to lose hope and give up, and we become immobilized. And then we stop running. So, years ago, when I was in my 20s, I started running. And I've done it off and on. I still do it. Uh, And... When I'm running, the one thing that I won't do, I may slow down, but I won't stop. I get really stubborn about that. I just feel I've got to keep going. And that's the way that I try to live my life as well. Sometimes in life you get disappointed, don't you? Something happens and it just stops you and you feel like giving up. That's the very point where we need to focus on Jesus and say, Lord, please just, I don't want, I can't afford to stop and just die. I've got to keep going. Even if you can only put one foot ahead of another, that's fine. Sometimes we have days like that. Just put one foot ahead of another. But he gives us a strategy to keep on running the race and not give up. And and the, the strategy is twofold. The half of it is forgetting what lies behind. The other half is stretching forward to what lies ahead. Now, I've had more yesterdays than most people in this room. And you can live in the yesterdays. I've had some great yesterdays. As a Christian... I came to the Lord in the tail end of what was called the Jesus Movement. It's now ancient history, back in the early 1970s. It's the last mass revival on this continent. And uh, I saw some wonderful things. I was at seminary in Chicago for a year, and at the end of church one day, uh, I'll have to explain the context a little bit, Whoops. Oh, I've lost my watch. <laughs> the end of church one day, some of the guys said, there's one of the girls here at, uh, in, the, in the seminary and she's got a really bad back and she needs to be healed. 
And there's a lady with an incredible ministry of healing that is in Chicago today at a having a healing service. And uh, we're, we've decided we're, we're all going to go down. This was the car that I got a ride to church in. And so they said, you know, if you want to come with us, come with us. But if you don't, you'll have to find another ride back. So I kind of hesitated back and forth. And, I, blah, blah. and then I thought, oh, I'll go. It was one of those things where it was like a casual decision that had a massive impact on my life. I went to this service. The first thing that struck me as unusual was, it was an old hockey arena in the south side of Chicago. The police and the fire department was outside with barricades trying to keep people out <laughs> because there was too many people inside. Imagine if there was... You know, imagine if you had to call the Ottawa Police Department to try to keep people out of this cafe on Sunday morning because it had already exceeded the fire regulations and, the, and people were, were desperately trying to get, get into church. That wouldn't be bad, would it? There was 16,000 people in a 10,000-seat arena. And we got in. We snuck around the barricades to get in because the other guys were determined to get this young lady in and I sat there, and we got inside. It was hot as anything, and the time for the service to begin came and went, and nothing seemed to happen. There was, you know, musicians up on the platform, and I got thinking, man, I wish I'd never come. And then, I don't know, after quite a long time, suddenly, this lady, her name was Catherine Kuhlman. I discovered after I was so far away from the stage I couldn't see I discovered afterwards she was 73 years old. She came on the stage in a kind of a white dress and she had long tinted, uh, tinted red hair. And all of a sudden, and there was rows of wheelchairs at the front. And all of a sudden, people started getting up out of these wheelchairs. And she started calling out things that were, you know, there's somebody right over there in that part of the, that has such and such a, a sickness, a disease or something, and God is healing you right now, and come down to the platform, these people would come. And this went on for like four hours. There's hundreds of miracles. It changed my life. And I've never been in a place where I felt the love of Jesus more powerfully. It was like Jesus was walking around in that hockey arena. And I thought, this was what it, this was what it would have been like. 2,000 years ago. You know, you read the Bible. You read the Bible. They're not just stories. They really happen. Like the woman that came up and she was bleeding. She had internal bleeding. And she was, by Jewish law, unclean. This is a story out of the Bible, right? She was, by Jewish law, unclean. She should not, not have been in any crowd because anybody that she touched would have become contaminated by her uncleanness. And here she is. She's desperate. It's like, you know, the fire department is out there barricading around Jesus because so many hundreds of people are trying to get near Him. And she, but she is determined because she believes God has spoken to her that if she can only touch the hem of His garment, she's going to be healed. She had faith. The problem was, He was a famous rabbi. To touch Him would have made Him unclean. But she did it. 
and she was instantly, miraculously healed. And then Jesus, because he knew everything that was going on, just like that lady did in Chicago 40 years ago, she knew what was going on because God had spoken, was speaking to her and God spoke to Jesus and said, somebody has been healed. The power of God has gone out from me. Who is it? And of course she was terrified because she'd broken all the laws and all the rest of it. But here's the amazing thing. And she fell at her feet and she said, woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in shalom. Hebrew word shalom means total healing. Body, soul, and spirit. Anybody in for some shalom this morning? That's what we want, don't we? Here's the amazing thing. That that woman, by Jewish law, this is religion, right? Her, She would have made unclean anyone that she touched. She would have made Jesus unclean. But when Jesus Himself, the Son of God, came, instead of Him becoming unclean through her, no, it reversed. His health went out and changed her. Do you know, all of us are unclean. We're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. But God in His mercy says, You can touch Me. You won't contaminate Me. Because when I touch you, My health will heal your sickness. Your sickness will not affect Me. It's amazing, isn't it? We need to lay hold of Jesus. I press on. That was an amazing day in my life. It was an amazing yesterday. And I've had lots of other amazing yesterdays. We started a church. I moved to England to do a PhD in, in Biblical Studies in 1977. And in 1980, I started a church on a university campus, much like this, with a bunch of young people. And uh, we saw... Many, many people become Christians. We saw many miracles of healing. There was one night I was standing at the front leading the worship service and God just spoke to me and said, Jesus is, in, is, is healing people right now. And I, and I said, you know, you don't have to even come and have anybody pray for you. Jesus is healing you. And one young lady, university student in the congregation screamed and ran out the back door. And I thought, well, I have many... People have a different... My ministry has a different impact on many people. But anyway, she <laughs> screamed and ran out the back door. Some of the other ladies, young women, followed her. She had uh, an incurable kidney disease or tumor. I can't remember what it was. And she felt heat right down the, the one side of her back where her kidneys were. And she was scared at the moment that I said, Jesus is healing, here to heal. And so she ran out. She went out to the hospital, and when they ran the test, she was totally, completely healed. We saw many things like that. That was a wonderful yesterday. And 20 years ago, we were involved in the church in Toronto where the Holy Spirit was poured out in an extraordinary way. And in the middle of the worship one night, and in a conference, there was about 5,000 people in the in the uh, church building which was jammed and there was an incredible time of worship and a friend of mine was on the keyboard leading it from the platform and in the middle of this incredible time of worship suddenly everything died down and it, there was a complete silence and it was so the silence was so was powerful sometimes God is in the silence God met Elijah that way once. Sometimes God isn't in the earthquake, the fire, and all the where we look. Sometimes He's just in the silence. 
And in that moment of silence, it seemed to go on for, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 seconds. It w- you could have heard a pin drop in a room of 5,000 people who a minute earlier, you know, were all praising God and it was all full of noise and a massive band at the front. In this silence, God was there. And suddenly out of nowhere, the entire room was filled with perfect four-part harmony. Now, where'd that come from? That was supernatural. The, the keyboardist, who was a friend of ours, was thrown about 10 or 15 feet. I know this sounds strange, but he was thrown by the power of God across the platform. It was an amazing experience. No, people are hungry for the supernatural. We, our society has taught people for so many centuries that the supernatural doesn't exist. But we're created with a hunger for God in our hearts, so we look for it in all the wrong places. We read horoscopes and use Ouija boards and get into all sorts of stupidity. But the supernatural is there, the power of God for each of us. You don't have to go to a meeting with thousands of people. You can meet Him in your own home, your own apartment, your own university room. The power of God is there. Anyway, i got to finish this. I've had lots of yesterdays, wonderful yesterdays. But my wife and I, we've had terrible yesterdays. We've had situations. We had somebody come for counseling one day and their, their nine-year-old boy sort of held our two-year-old daughter, Anna, who was two-year-old at the time. And he held her at the top of a flight of basement stairs and then he just let her go. She fell down the stairs onto the concrete. That was a yesterday. We had a couple come into our home and their daughter stole our engagement ring. And uh, Elaine's engagement ring. And, and a week out of the box in, her, in our bedroom. And uh, we turned the house upside down for it. Couldn't find it. And I prayed and God said to me, that couple that came their little girl went into your bedroom and took the ring. I had a word from God. So I went to them and they said, oh, oh, amazing where that ring came from, that diamond ring, you know, in our daughter's room. Never an apology. We had, I won't even go into some of the unedifying things that have happened to us, but we've all had lousy yesterdays, haven't we? Sometimes it was literally yesterday that you had a bad day. Now what am I saying out of all of this? What I'm saying is, Don't be imprisoned by your yesterdays. Because if you've got good yesterdays, then you're always wanting to recreate them. You're always wanting to, and people my age are notorious about, oh, the good old days. No. You can't recreate some good thing that happened in the past and wish that it was going to happen now. Move on. And in Christian terms... You can't look back to an experience that you had of God at some time in the past or a situation that you were in or a church service that was really nice and say, I'd like to, for that to happen again. That's just sentimentality. And you can't do it. And if you've had bad yesterdays, they're the killers. You'll be so wounded by the hurts that you've had in your life. It'll kill you. But you know what? I don't care what anybody has done to you. If you 
cannot forgive and live in bitterness and unforgiveness toward those people, you will damage yourself more than anything that they ever did to you. See, that's not my opinion. Jesus taught that. He said, if you, you've been forgiven a big debt, all of us have. If you can't turn around and forgive other people that have done to you less than you did to me, then you'll wind up in spiritual jail. That's what Jesus said. And I don't care what anyone's done to you. If you are dominated by the bitterness and the hurt of what they did to you, it's like they're, they'll do it to you every day of your life. But you're really doing it to yourself. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, let me teach you something real quick about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not pretending that nothing ever happened. It's not pretending, you know. It's not papering it over. It's not being nice. Nowhere in the Bible does God... Nowhere in the Bible does it say God is nice. Right? Forgiveness, you can't forgive unless you bring it right out to light, put it onto the table with somebody else and say, what that person did to me was awful. And as a matter of fact, God hates what they did to me more than I hate what they did to me because when somebody is hurt and violated, God hates that because He made that person in His image. So that's the first thing you have to do. But then you have to say, well, Jesus forgave me, therefore I choose to take this wrong that was done to me and hand it over to God for Him to be the judge. See, it's not forgotten and papered over. It never is with God. It's just who's going to be the judge, you or God. If you choose, if you hold on forgiveness, then you are choosing to put yourself in the place of judgment. But you don't have any right to do that because you yourself are a sinner. So what we do is we say, well, God, you've forgiven me, so I'm going to hand this person over to you. It's between you and them. That's what forgiveness means. And you know what? It'll set you free. So if you're in this room this morning and you've got issues of unforgiveness in your life because of something awful that someone's done to you, follow that process. Acknowledge how awful it was. Find somebody. Put it out on the table, but then say, well, God... You forgave me for what I did to you when Jesus hung on the cross. He didn't deserve it. And I put those nails right in His hands. And so I'm giving this person over to you. And it'll set you free from your bad yesterdays. So forget your yesterdays. Whether they were good ones or bad ones, Paul says, forget that. Let's move on toward the future. And when we move on, we are straining forward like the runner. So like I said, there are times in life when the going gets tough and we're tempted to drop out. But we need to keep going. We need to keep tilting ourselves in that direction because we're aiming toward the finish line. He says here that we are to uh, press on toward the goal. Now the goal... It's actually, in Greek, it's a goal marker, and it's poles that they put up along the, the route of the Olympic race so that you wouldn't go off track. Now, if you run a marathon, there's all sorts of barricades you can possibly get lost. But in those days, you could get lost and go off the track. So they put up these goal posts. And so that's what he means. He says, I'm pressing on toward the goal post. What is the goal post? The goal post is Jesus. Everything in my life is oriented toward meeting Jesus. Everything in my life is focused on Him. And that's what I want to look at. 
I'm not going to measure myself by what Rich Crosby does. I'm not going to go to myself, I'm not going to go and say, well, he's doing a better job. He's having more success. He's got his life together more than me. That's so unfair. I'm getting depressed. No, forget about what he does. Forget about what somebody else apparently is going on in somebody else's life. Don't compare yourself positively or negatively to anyone else. Just get caught up in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And He always will encourage you. Count your blessings. Real, be grateful for everything that's happened in your life. Forget the garbage, move past it, and move ahead because God always has an amazing future and amazing things in store for you. Keep your eyes on the goal marker. Strain forward to what lies ahead. Press, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call. Now what does this mean? The upward call isn't heaven. It's actually a picture from the race where at the very end of the race they built sort of bleachers or stands or whatever platform and the judges would sit on the very top of that platform so they'd have a bird's eye view of the finish line and be able to judge who crossed the finish line first and won the race. And when the person that ran, that won the race, crossed the line, he would be called upward onto the platform and his name would be read out and proclaimed and everybody would cheer and so on and he'd receive the, you know, the crown, the wreath that the, they put on the winning athlete. And so what he's saying here is that at the end of the race, you'll be called up onto the platform where the judge is, except this is obviously God, and your name will be called out. But the amazing thing is that in this race, everybody wins. If you know Jesus, you win. There's nobody that has a... There is nobody that has a more successful life than anybody else. Success is just doing what God has put in front of you. It doesn't matter what He's called you to do. I mean... Some people that are apparently outwards at least successful in God's sight, they're failures. Some people that proceed through life and do very little. There was a guy that sold shoes in Chicago in the 1860s. And nobody even knows his name anymore. At least I've read the story, but I can't even remember the guy's name. But he, what he did was he used to take the orphan kids in off the street at the end of the business day into the shoe store and he'd maybe feed them something and he'd teach them Bible stories. And one day, this little scruffy orphan kid, his name was Dwight L. Moody, came into that shoe store and gave his life to Christ. He became the greatest evangelist in the United States. He led, and there was a string of historical figures. He led so-and-so to Christ, so-and-so led so-and-so, so-and-so led so-and-so. And down the line uh, was one of these spiritual descendants of Moody, yet led a young man to Christ called Billy Graham. And in 1954, Billy Graham went to England and had a great crusade at Wembley Arena or Stadium. And a young man called Tony Tyndale came forward and received Christ. And in the early 1970s, a guy called David Campbell heard the gospel from Tony Tyndale and gave his life to Christ. See, so I owe that shoe salesman a big debt. He's one of the most significant figures in history, but in his day, nobody even knew who he was. He was just a guy that took in kids off the street. Don't judge your life by somebody else and what they apparently have done or aren't doing. Don't get discouraged. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. 
stretch forward, forget the, the past, the good things you can't recreate them, the bad things they'll kill you. Stretch forward to know Him. Okay, just out of sheer curiosity, I'm going to look at my watch. I'm one minute over. That's not bad. I'll go read these last lines because they're pretty good. <laughs> Here it goes. The thought of the race was never far from Paul's mind. He, he was a sports fan, there's no doubt about it. He talked about boxing and wrestling and all sorts of things. A year before he wrote these words that I preached off this morning, he told the people in Corinth, he says, run the race in such a way that, the, that they'd win it. And then two years after he wrote these words, he was facing the certainty of an imprisonment that had been prophesied. And he told the elders at a place called Ephesus that the only desire I've got, he says, is to finish the race. And nine years after that, near the end of his life, he wrote to his spiritual son Timothy, he said this, I finished the race. He knew it was all about the race. What about you? Are you in the race to win? Don't think about stopping. Even if all you can do is just put one foot ahead of another. Like one day, I still remember it. I was so discouraged. Everything in my life seemed to, you know, everything in what I was doing for God seemed to have come to nothing. And I was putting the garbage out one morning. And I suddenly had this revelation. If all I could do was get down to the end of the driveway with a garbage bag and stick it there, that was progress. And I made it. I, I know I made it because the garbage isn't sitting there. This That was about 15 years ago. It, it went somewhere. If that's all you can do, that's fine. Some days you can run. Some days you can just walk. Just keep moving forward. Forget what lies behind. Press on. One day, like Paul, you'll cross the finish line. And on that day, you'll be summoned up before the judge. And your name will be called out. And all the hosts of heaven. And there's lots of them. You read the book of Revelation. Ten thousands of ten thousands that will all be there cheering when your name is called. Amen? Let's just stand up together. Lord Jesus, I've just taken a half hour to try to encourage my friends here this morning. And a lot of them are young and have a whole life ahead of them. But some of them are already crippled by things that have happened already to them. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're here this morning like you were in that crowd all those years ago when that lady came up and touched you and your cleanness invaded her uncleanness and she got set free. And I pray this morning, whatever the garbage happens to be in each of our lives today, thank you that you can touch it and you can give us freedom. Lord, you can do that. Maybe there's some, some people here this morning that have never met you personally. They've heard about you, maybe just as a swear word, maybe just as a religious thing or whatever, but they've never met you personally. Now they're, they're hearing this Jesus is real. Lord, I pray if there's anybody like that, please encourage that person to reach out to you this morning and to come to know you personally. And Lord, for, for those of us that do know you, we all of us need to know you better. There isn't a person here that doesn't need to know you better. 
what all of us do. We're all running the race. We're not in competition with each other. We're not comparing ourselves to anybody else. We're just in relationship with you. And Lord, I want to thank you this morning that you took me as I was with all my imperfections and all my insecurities and all the rest of it. You took me and you changed me. And I thank you, Lord, that you're still changing me. I, I can't believe it when you use me to do something amazing in somebody's life. I look at it and say, how could you ever use somebody like me? That is incredible. If you can use me, Lord Jesus, you can use anybody in this room. And I thank you today. I want to ask that you build faith. Yes. Lord, in so many of these people, young people here this morning, would you build faith in them? Would you build vision for their life that you can invade their life with the power of your Spirit? Lord, I want to ask you, for those that are here this morning feeling a little bit down about themselves, a little bit like, ah, I'm not worth it, I'm a failure. Lord, please just drive that thinking out of our mind. Lord, if, if we know you that we are, we are not a failure, and if, if we've had disappointments, maybe I think when Kate came up this morning and she said, maybe you've had a disappointment this week. Well, maybe you have had a disappointment this week. Give it to Jesus. Do you know what the Bible says? He'll never disappoint you. He'll, he'll never disappoint you. <laughs> so Lord, just break the power of the lies. We have a supernatural enemy that comes against us and says, you're nothing, you never amount to anything, it's all over, it's finished. No. Those are lies. Lord, Your Word says the truth will set you free. So Jesus, let Your truth run through this group of people this morning in this cafe here in this beautiful city of Ottawa. Lord, let Your truth run through this place this morning and set us free as we, maybe whatever we're going to do, we finish this service, then we're talking, we're having fellowship. Can I encourage you this morning? To go ask somebody to pray for you if you need encouragement today. And Jesus, I don't want anybody to leave this place this morning without encountering you. Thank you, Lord.